Well, that song is a perfect setup for what I want to talk with you about today. Um, You may not realize it, but we are facing an unprecedented challenge right now in the life of our church. Never before in the close to 20-year history of Lakeside Bible Church have our expenses exceeded our offerings. This is new territory for us, and... um, I and the other pastors and elders are confident that with God's help, we can rise, rise to the challenge that is before us. And uh, one of our elders, John Engert, who oversees our finance team, is going to come and present to you our financial challenge, and then I'm going to follow it up with uh, some teaching uh, from God's Word. Thank you, John. Hopefully, you're... you're bulletin is within arm's reach. So if it is, if you would please grab that and turn towards the back. I'd also at this time like to uh, give a double thanks to Aaron. Um, We were the Abbeys and Chris's at some point and uh, we needed an Aaron, right? So if you would again turn toward the back pages and you will see uh, it's toward the bottom of a page. It's called Growing and Giving, and uh, it's where we always have our attendance as well as our weekly giving. And if you are at that page, once a quarter, we add a, uh, a couple of uh, numbers that aren't there during the year, and that's our year-to-date giving as well as our year-to-date spending or expenses. And you can see from those numbers, if you're there, that uh, just do some simple math, is that our giving is around $175,000, just slightly under, and our spending is a little over two hundred twenty-five. So if you take those numbers, you can come up with a number slightly over $50,000 for uh, through April, the middle of April as far as where we stand financially. Also, if we were to continue that trend, by the end of the year, we would spend $175,000 more than we bring in. And that would basically evaporate the savings we have built up. And maybe to better understand that, if you're new to Lakeside, let me just give you a a, um, brief summary of the past. We moved into this location in the early 2000s, and uh, we began to grow in attendance, and we began to grow in our giving. About 10 years later, 2012, we began discussions on moving from three pastors to four pastors. And the reason for that is our numbers were growing, but also the spiritual needs of the body began to change. And um, honestly, it took us four years. So in 2016, after prayer and discussion, it was decided upon that we needed more support, especially in the areas of, excuse me, discipleship, teaching, missions, counseling. And it was about the spring 2016, about this time where Shelley developed that medical condition that brought the Styers to Houston. And wouldn't you know that Chris comes with discipleship experience, missions, counseling, teaching. So it was the perfect match. Um, It was not a very difficult decision to make. 
And, and the reason I say that, too, at the same time, we had accumulated a savings to where we could afford to bring on another pastor for a short period of time and not suffer financially for that. And truthfully, that plan was on course to about the middle of 2018 where our giving started to decline. And uh, as Ken mentioned, for the first year in Lakeside's history, 2018, we actually spent more money than we brought in. But again, we had that buffer, so again, we felt like we were fairly healthy. But unfortunately, that trend has continued into 2019. And if we continue this trend, those five-plus years of building up that saving accounts will be gone. And when we talk about deficits, we know that there are two ways to approach a deficit, right? There's the, the income side, the giving side, and there's also the expense side. And since 26, excuse me, yeah, since 2016, our expenses has really averaged around that low $16,200 per week. We've stayed there. Matter of fact, 2019, it even decreased from 2018. We knew that this could continue, so we wanted to already get in that mode of, of not spending much. And um, we... Um, are still in that mode of not spending much. In fact, that right now our building needs some attention, but getting with the deacons, they have decided to postpone some of those repairs and only going to concentrate on emergency repairs as well as safety issues. And uh, I don't want to embarrass Janice today, Blaine, but she did bring up a safety concern to us not too long ago, and uh, the deacons considered it and uh, they needed to implement it. So we're going to do that. And my reason for bringing that up is, even though that we're struggling a little financially right now, if there's a safety issue, make us aware of that. Let the deacons decide if we should implement that or not. So in just summary with our spending, our philosophy on spending is really, really simple. We just want to compensate our staff appropriately. We want to maintain this building we want to provide ministry opportunities to um, equip the saints, and then the rest is easy. Give it all to missions. And that, that's, that's our simple philosophy as far as spending. And if you have any ideas to improve that, please don't hesitate to let us know. At the same time, we know we need to address the giving side. Um, I think probably most of us would agree whether you've been here for a short period of time or not. We uh, lean towards more of a passive approach on giving than an aggressive. What I mean by that is we don't pass around an offering plate. We've been accused of camouflaging our offering boxes because they're so nice like furniture. They blend in with the building. Um, it's been a while since we've uh, taught a financial crown class during our quipping hour. And if my notes are correct, I went back and it was in 2016, the summer of 2016, where we had one message on giving, and it was a five-part series on why we come to church. At the same time, we don't avoid speaking about giving. If it's in the text, our pastors are going to teach it. But we do feel like there is some opportunities there that we'd like to, to do, and what I mean by that is 
Our online giving, that has uh, surprisingly done well. Uh, Junior Frere is our coordinator, and he has some ideas on even to enhance that more. I think our bulletin, we could refresh that too, because there are more avenues to give, and we could make that uh, aware to the body. And let me just say on a personal note, I've seen this decline in giving, and it has impacted me to enough to where I needed to examine, am I following the biblical principles of giving? Am I giving sacrificially, regularly, faithfully, and doing it with a heart of worship? And as I was going through that checklist, I felt somewhat good about that, but I know that there was room for improvement. And after thinking about that, I began to pray and just or ask God to say, God, just give me more money so I could give to Lakeside. That was a very rough and um, not as reverent prayer as I probably wanted to say, but that was what I, I said. And again, this, it's just, this subject was still on my mind, and I couldn't get rid of it. And so, um, again, I think my prayers became more respectful. And then not too long ago, I received... Um, some unexpected income. Now, it was from a previous employer. It was owed to me, if you will, but I didn't know when it was going to come or what or how much the amount would be. And about the same time that happened, my car note was about ready to expire. And I could tell you, normally I would have just said, thank you, that I have one less bill to pay, and, you know, that extra income, I could just sock it away, and at some point I know I'll need it. But this time I wanted to do something more. I wanted to do, have some type of change, so I proactively started looking at my future expenses. I said, I need to, to sock away some money there, but the rest of the money I actually gave to charities, and I gave some to Lakeside. Um, I know just recently that I've looked at my bills even closer, and uh, my energy bill has been a little less for the last couple of months, and so have some other bills. And I know I probably need to sock away a little bit of that, but it gave me another opportunity to give. Then I even noticed that the bills I have, I've been thankful that those are pretty low and manageable. I could pay for them. But what's even more of an impact is my thankfulness for Lakeside really raised up. And what I mean by that is, is that God gives me all the resources. He gives me that money. And I'm just thankful that... That money goes, <clears throat> excuse me, Kim, to pastors and staff that shepherd me well. And then also thankful that, that those monies that we give to this church go to missionaries where $10 in a country goes up farther than $100 in this country. And then also, too, is that those monies that we give to this church go to the students, it goes to the children's ministry where the gospel is preached because we know that most people come to know Christ before the age of 20. And I also know that those monies go to take care of this building that I enjoy and I get to have fellowship with you. So God took a real simple prayer, very maybe not very even respectful prayer, and he answered that. He, he did provide some more monies, but the biggest prayer he answered is he gave me a new attitude for giving. So if you've got your bulletins and you have them open, you can turn them back to the front page. And under the message section, you don't see Romans. 
You don't see a passage on Palm Sunday. Our deacons and elders met last week for our quarterly meeting, and uh, it was unanimous. Everybody felt like this subject needed to be taught, and the sooner the better. Now, we know that God calls us to be good stewards, and he has given us resources. He's given us time and money, those two resources we need to do well. And I think this body does that well. But I think we can still grow in that area. And as always, uh, the good Bereans we are, I think it's time we need to hear from our Lord through our pastor as far as how to better manage money. Appreciate that. I um, almost titled this message, Giving is Fun. Because that was a comment that John made in one of our recent meetings as we've been praying on our knees, asking the Lord uh, to give us wisdom as we forge ahead uh, with this financial uh, challenge. Uh, one of the things that we've been praying about is that the Lord will work in each of our own hearts as leaders, that we would lead by example. And, uh, and so rather than just thinking, well, you know, hey, we need to get other people to give more. No, how about it starts with us? We need to be giving more. What can we sacrifice? How can we participate more in the giving of our church and step up our giving? And so that's when John said, hey, I'm finding out giving is fun. And um, so that's just one example of, of, uh, of how, you know, what it means to be a cheerful giver. The Bible talks about that. And so I think we all appreciated um, Phil Mosier last Sunday, Right? Um, you, you're wondering why I put this big pulpit back in front of me, right? Okay, I kind of felt like I was exposed last week without a pulpit in front of me, right? But Phil was a, a great uh, messenger of God's word with his little object lesson and things like that. I love that guy. Uh, he's become more and more of a dear friend over the years. And we had some really good conversations while he was here. Um, and uh, he mentioned something, a concept that I had never heard before. And he, we were talking about churches and, and, and growing and, and uh, you know, uh, going through difficult times and seasons. And he said that churches tend to expand and contract. And uh, I had never heard that expression before. Um, and so uh, some of those ladies out there that have had babies, you can appreciate the contraction part, right? But uh, sometimes uh, churches expand, sometimes they contract. And he shared how his church that he's pastored for over 25 years now has experienced both of those experiences. And uh, you may have noticed that our church is going through some sort of providential contraction. And uh, there are less people coming, which means there are less people giving, right? Simple. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But at the same time, based on the number of giving records that we recently sent out for tax purposes, and this was the season, right? Is it the 15th yet? Are going to be here soon? I don't know. What's today? Tomorrow. Okay, so we're, I mean, this is perfect timing, right? Tax season. Anyway, we, we, our financial team sends out the records so we can all file our taxes. And, and the concern was, again, not knowing what people are giving, just more of the regularity or the, um, the number of people that are giving. Uh, it was a concern to us that there are people regularly attending Lakeside who are not giving regularly or not giving at all. And, of course, we assume that everyone knows that the Bible says that every Christian should give regularly. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, 
couldn't be any clearer. Paul said on the first day of every week, each one of you should put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. He was raising money for the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. And so he goes going around from church to church to church and he was taking a collection. And so he said, hey, you're already meeting on the first day of the week, the Lord's day. And so I want you to set aside an amount of money that really would be contributed to the Lord's work. Um, the Bible also says that not giving to God is robbing God. And uh, again, this is uh, not in any way to guilt you into giving uh, or to pressure you into guilting, or gu- guilting into giving. But Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? God says, In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, I just read those verses, again, assuming that uh, we're all familiar with those verses, but then we have to remember that not everyone um, grew up in the church, going to church, like myself and, and, and a number of others who regularly attend here, uh, that this may be, be a new concept to some of you. Uh, and since we don't pass offering plates down the aisles every Sunday, and since we really mention uh, anything about money when we gather together, I think it'd be easy for us to forget that bringing a financial offering before the Lord on a weekly basis is a significant aspect of our worship. Giving is an act of worship, first and foremost, just like singing, just like praying, just like serving, just like listening to the word of God preached. And it also plays a vital role in supporting and sustaining the ongoing ministry of the church. And so the Bible makes it clear that God's people have a biblical responsibility to support his work, God's work, through the local church with their financial gifts. And... um, not to get too specific because the Bible uh, doesn't give us a specific number or amount that we're to give. It simply says that we're to give um, as the Lord has given to us. But our present church directory indicates that we have approximately 165 individuals or uh, families, if you will, who, are, uh, who consider Lakeside their home church. So theoretically... If every individual or family contributed $100 a week to the church, we'd meet our, week, our weekly budget. No problem. Do the math. Another way to look at it is if everyone gave $25 more a week, that would make up for the present deficit, about $4,000 off of our weekly budget. Um, now, granted, not everyone can give $100 a week or even $25 more, but there are some who can give more than that. And the basic principle that we find in Scripture, particularly in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, is that we are to give according to what we've been given as God prospers us. God doesn't expect us to give him what we don't have. He simply expects us to give back to him based on what he gives to us. If he gives you a little, you give a little. If he gives you a lot, you give a lot. The point is we may not all give the same amount, but we should all give to the same level of generosity and sacrificiality. We should all be making equal sacrifice. 
and demonstrating equal generosity based on how the Lord has blessed us. Now, having said all that, I am thankful, and I think I express the heart of both the elders and the deacons, that God has sovereignly placed our church in this financial situation at this time. Why? Because it forces us to grapple with one of the most soul-searching, life-changing principles in God's word, and that is the principle of stewardship. And I don't know of anything that will motivate us to excel still more as generous, joyful, sacrificial givers than understanding and applying what the Bible teaches about financial stewardship. Now, you may be familiar with this, that the Bible references money and possessions some 2,350 times. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels talks about money. 16 of the 38 parables Christ told dealt with how we should handle earthly possessions. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. God knew that we would need lots of direction, lots of encouragement, lots of clarity on this whole money and stuff issue. He knows us well, right? The fact that he mentions money so much in his word proves how extremely important he considers it to be. In fact, money management, I believe, is at the heart of the Christian life. There's no better indication of where you stand spiritually than how you manage the money that God has given you. What's more, the Bible teaches that there is a direct connection between how we spend our money here on earth and how we will spend eternity in heaven. And so what I want to do with the time we have remaining is just briefly summarize all that the Bible says about money into three simple money management principles, three principles that will challenge us to wisely and faithfully manage money in light of eternity. And you have those three principles written out in front of you if you grab one of those outlines as you came in. Uh, if you didn't grab one, there's still probably some on the back table. You can jump up and get one so you can follow along with us as we go. But number one, God gives each of us a portion of his money to use while we are here on earth. Let me say that again. God gives each of us a portion of his money to use while we were here on earth. And there's some verses that um, I've written down there. First Chronicles chapter 29. This is where David was thanking God for blessing him financially so he could give generously to the building of the temple. Um, God said, you can't you won't build the you won't be the one to build the temple because you have blood on your hands, but your son Solomon will build it. And so David said, Well, that's fine, but I'm gonna do everything I can to provide for it. And this is what he prayed in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand and all is yours. Of course, uh, The book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 24, verse 1, mentions God's ownership over everything. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those 
who dwell in it. Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. Verse 12, for the world is mine and all it contains. So the Bible repeatedly emphasizes God's ownership of all things. Everything we have ultimately belongs to God. We're merely stewards or managers of God's stuff. And yet as sinful creatures, we tend to think and talk about everything we have like it's ours. It's our house, it's our car, it's our clothes, it's our cell phone, our bank account, our portfolio, right? What's one of the first words every little kid learns and nobody had to teach them? Mine, right? They find something they like, they want, mine. Whenever our kids would fight when they were little over a toy or a piece of candy, I would always ask them, whose toy is that? Whose piece of candy is that? Whose candy bar is that? God's. That was the answer I taught him. God's, God's owns that candy bar. It's God, that's God's toy. Well, did he give it to you? Yes. Well, then you should be willing to give it to someone else as well. The point is we are prone to forget that nothing we have is really ours. We got it all from God, including any wealth that we may have. And I think there's at least five reasons why God gives us money. Number one, to turn to him and thank him for it. Romans 1, 21, that they did not give thanks to God or honor him, but God wants us to thank him for his provision. Uh, he gives us wealth. He gives us money to provide for the needs of our family. 1 Timothy 5, 8, if we don't provide for the needs of our family, we're worse than an unbeliever, it says. Uh, he also provides us money to share with others. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how we should work, um, not just so that we don't have to steal, but that we have enough left over after taking care of the needs of our family that we can share with others who have needs. Um, I think God also gives us money to enjoy it. First Timothy chapter 6, 17, it says that God, give, in the context of money, God gives us all things to enjoy. And so uh, that's one of the reasons. And then lastly, number five, God gives us money to support his work, to support his work. Now, Usually when it comes to supporting God's work, we ask ourselves, well, how much of my money should I give to God? In reality, we should be asking ourselves, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? That's really the better question. See, as God's stewards, he gives us the freedom to draw our living expenses from the money he entrusts to us. In other words, he trusts us to set our own salaries, to choose our own standard of living. And and all of us have to determine a reasonable amount of money that we need to live on. And that amount may vary uh, from person to person, but we all need to prayerfully choose the standard at which God wants us to live that will allow us to make the maximum impact for him in this world. And I think, sadly, too many of us limit our impact in this world simply because the standard of living that we have chosen is too high. We've spread ourselves so thin and we've strapped ourselves so tight financially that we have either very little or no money left to invest in the Lord's work or to minister to others' needs. I think if more Christians were content with the simple necessities of life, millions of dollars would be freed up for kingdom purposes. If you... Uh, have read any of John Piper's 
uh, books or listened to any John Piper's sermons or read any of John Piper's blogs, you've probably heard him talk about a wartime lifestyle, that the Christians should uh, live like we're at war because we are. And if you remember, those of you especially that were around back in the day of World War II, there's less and less of those people. But there was something about how everyone in America uh, rose to the occasion and they went without to support the cause of war. And the whole nation rallied uh, and made great sacrifices and gave generously uh, to the work. And um, John Piper's point is, well, we're at spiritual war. There's thousands of people who starve to death every day. Missions agencies don't have enough funds to, to, to penetrate unreached people groups. And why is that? Well, because a lot of that, God's resources are locked up in Christians' financial situation. And again, I know this is completely counter-cultural um, as we think about this, but typically when a person's income rises, what also rises? Their standard of living, right? They get a bigger house, a nicer car, a fancier you know, suit or you know, more expensive vacation. And again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the, the resources that God has blessed you with. There's nothing necessarily sinful about living in a big house or driving a nice car or wearing a, a nice outfit. But I'm convicted by the example of a guy named R.G. Letourneau, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. He was the one who founded Letourneau University up in the Tyler area. He was uh, known, uh, best known for inventing a lot of large earth-moving equipment, and, uh, which made him a very wealthy man. And, and yet uh, he made a commitment that as more money came in, he was not going to raise or increase his standard of living. And so he went from giving 10% of his income to the work of the Lord and living on 90% to living on 10% and giving away 90%. What a great example he was. And somebody asked him, how can you do that? How do you, where does all this money come from? He says, man, I just keep, you know, God keeps shoveling it in and I just keep shoveling it out and God has a bigger shovel than me. And, and uh, spoken from a true earth working, earth mover uh, perspective, right? I think what many of us fail to realize is that God blesses us financially, not necessarily to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Kind of what we just heard, the testimony of John is that, you know, when the Lord blesses you with an increase in income for, for, some, for some reason, it's, it's uh, not necessarily so you can go out and Spend it on yourself. Maybe the Lord gave you that so you can give back to him. The bottom line here is that we must all keep in mind that when we spend money on something or we give money to someone or towards something, we're not spending or giving our money, but we're giving and spending money that has been loaned to us by God. And one day, we'll give an account of how we used his money. You may have heard of the radio preacher Chip Ingram. He's a pastor of a church in California. He tells a story that when he was a young pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a wealthy man in his church uh, took him out to lunch and uh, told him something shocking. He said that he wanted to give him his checkbook 
And he wanted him to use it to meet any needs or invest in any opportunities that he became aware of. And so this man pulled out his checkbook and handed it to Chip Ingram and, and to this young pastor and said, okay, I want you to use that and we're going to get together once a month and I want you to tell me what you've spent money for and how you've invested my money. And so what a, a, a challenging uh, situation for that young pastor to be in, but what an example. This man understood his money was not his own. And Chip Ingram got an unforgettable lesson in what it means to steward someone else's money. Can you imagine that? Having somebody else's checkbook and you had to make right significant decisions every month about how to invest that money. So the first principle here is God gives each of us a portion of his money that he wants us to use during our time on this earth. Secondly, God advises us to wisely invest the money he gives us in things that will last, in things that will last. Luke chapter 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. First Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And then probably the most familiar passage um, is in Matthew chapter 6 on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn, in his excellent book, The Treasure Principle, which if you've never read, I want to encourage you, to read it, highly recommend this little book, The Treasure Principle. Um, this is what he said about what Jesus said here in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, this is the best investment advice you'll ever receive. This is the ultimate insider trading tip. Investment experts read signs that the stock market is about to take a downward turn and they recommend switching funds into more dependable vehicles such as money markets, treasury bills, certificates of deposit. Jesus is instructing us to switch investment vehicles. Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ comes back or when we die, whichever comes first. So it makes sense to transfer our funds from earth to heaven. Every day is an opportunity to buy up more shares of heavenly stock. It's the safest and wisest place to put your money. It's thief-proof, it's fire-proof, it's rust-proof, it's moth-proof, right? Nothing can get to it. All that's to say, our goal as Christians should not be to get rich here on earth, but to get rich in heaven. Why? Because this world is not our home. We are aliens and strangers who are just passing through this world. And we need to learn to travel light. And remember that we can't take anything with us, but we can send it on ahead. And whatever we store up here on earth will be left behind when we leave. But whatever we store up in heaven will be waiting for us 
when we get there. What's more important, I think, than where we spend eternity or live when we get there. Some people say, I heard somebody say, you know, a guy got to heaven when, you know, died and went to heaven and Peter took him past all these huge mansions and he was wondering, oh, mine must be even bigger than this. They came around the corner and there was a little shack. And the the guy said, this is where I'm going to live for all eternity. He says, well, we just... We just used the materials you sent ahead. This is all we had to work with. Um, I don't think we're all going to be living in different sized mansions, but I think it's a, a funny story. Anyway, what's more important, I think, where we live when we get to heaven is to have our hearts there already while we're still here on earth. And wherever our money goes, our heart is sure to follow. Wherever we invest our money, that's where our heart will be. And if we invest our money in things here on earth, our heart will be focused on earthly things. But if we invest our money in eternal things, our heart will be consumed with heavenly things. Have you ever wished you had more of a heart for missions? More of a heart for lost people? More, more of a heart for um, homeless people? Or maybe more of a heart for a particular ministry? Well, I think the best way... According to this verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To, to move your heart or to have more of a heart for missions or homeless people or whatever is to direct some of your funds towards these kinds of things, to invest in these kinds of ministries. C.T. Studd was one of England's greatest cricket stars back in uh, the early 19th century. When he got saved, he gave, us a, gave up his athletic career to become a missionary. And before leaving for the mission field, Stud resolved to give away what in those days was a rather substantial inheritance of 29,000 pounds. So he sent 5,000 pounds to D.L. Moody, who used the money to start Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He sent 5,000 pounds to George Mueller, 4,000 to be used on missionary work, 1,000 for the orphans that he cared for. He sent 5,000 pounds to George Holland, who worked among the poor in London, and another 5,000 pounds to Booth Tucker for the Salvation Army in India. After making all these charitable donations to various organizations, he gave what was left of his inheritance to his fiancée as a wedding gift. And not to be outdone, she in turn gave away that money as well. And so when the couple went to Africa as missionaries, they had no money. Stud is probably best known for his famous statement, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And because this was his passionate conviction, he made a lasting impact for Christ in countless lives by his faithful stewardship of the money that God had blessed him with, entrusted to him. Well, there's a third and final principle here, money management principle, and that is this. God determines our eternal reward based on our faithfulness in managing the money he gives us. God determines our eternal reward based on our faithfulness in managing the money he gives us. And we find a number of parables in the Gospel of Luke that talk about this. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return and they will be your payment. And that will be your payment. 
repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, when you die and go to heaven. Luke 19, Luke 19, this is the parable of the steward in a different form. Verse 12, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned and he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, master, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are, in, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, master, there is, here is your mina, which I kept away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. But he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you. You worthless slave, did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest? And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minus. And then Luke 16, interesting story. Um, it seems like a negative example of this unrighteous steward who got, essentially got fired um, because he wasn't being a good manager of this um, rich man's possessions. And before he uh, was removed, he lessened everybody's debt. Uh, he made a lot of good friends uh, by canceling their debts uh, as he left. But notice what it says um, Verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relationship to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he would be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Again, the purpose of these parables is, is to teach us as Christ's followers, how to wisely invest our time, our talents, our treasures, so that we will be rewarded at the return of Christ. And on that day, our money's not going to be worth anything anymore. It's going to fail us, if you will. But the people that we are able to influence for Christ by the money that we invested in ministering to them will be waiting to welcome us into heaven. We'll have heavenly friends, if you will, eternal friends. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, will there be anyone in heaven waiting to meet us 
to thank us for taking the time to share the gospel with them at the gym that we work out at or at the place where we work or the school that we go to or spending time, thanking you for spending time teaching them the word of God every Sunday in their Sunday school class, for example, or uh, will they thank you for supporting that missionary who reached them with the gospel or will they thank you for paying for that young man's tuition at seminary so he could become their pastor or Will they thank you for giving money to support a church in Montgomery, Texas because it's where their family member got saved. It's where they were brought to maturity in Christ. Some of you may remember that old song, Thank You by Ray Bolts. It's a beautiful picture, an imaginary picture of entering heaven. And the song goes like this, one by one they came Far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity, little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, but in heaven now proclaimed. And I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and stood before, and you stood before the Lord, and he said, my child, look around you, great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. I mentioned to you at the beginning that we as elders are thankful for this unique financial challenge that we're facing because really it's a test. It's a test of our faithfulness as God's stewards. First, as leaders of the church, but also as individual members of the church. And we as church leaders need to figure out how we can cut back our spending, which we are actively in the process of doing. One specific example of that is we are meeting with an insurance agent this Wednesday to see if we can figure out how to um, get less expensive health insurance for our pastoral staff. And you know the health insurance game, right? You're, you're all there doing that. And the church has been extremely generous over the years to provide great health insurance for the pastors. But we're, we, we think we, we found a, a cheaper way to do it, which could, could save potentially $40,000 plus a year. And so that's just one way that we're trying to be strategic and deliberate and intentional to say, hey, where can we find ways to cut back? But also, as church members, we need to figure out how we can step up our giving. It's not an either or. It's not like, hey, we just need to cut back um, or you just need to give more, right? No, we need to cut back and we need to give more. Uh, it's a both and. And so I'm going to give you a homework assignment, Okay. This is your homework assignment. I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Uh, and, and by the way, this is one of the questions in your application question. So you grow group leaders, this is going to be repeated uh, in your grow group whenever you meet to talk about this message. But John mentioned a few years ago, the last time I preached on giving, I preached on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and I laid out 12 principles of biblical giving that should inspire us all to be 
generous, joyful, sacrificial givers. And so I want you to read that passage, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the most concentrated, concentrated uh, section of Scripture, um, of, of biblical principles anywhere in Scripture. It's right there, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's all about giving. And uh, listen to the message, and there's a, a link there uh, on the, uh, uh, the application question sheet that you can find that sermon. Listen to that sermon. And, and, and ask yourself, prayerfully consider um, how the Lord uh, would want you to step up your giving. And, and for some of you, that would just be start giving because you haven't been giving. For others of you, it would be, hey, I need to increase my giving. If possible, I want to see how I can do that by, with the help of God. And, and over the next, this is what we talked about as, as elders and deacons this week, that over the next four to six weeks, we want to put our church's giving capacity to the test. Because that's the question. Oh, well, maybe we're given to our maximum. Maybe this is just what the Lord has provided for us at this time, and, 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 and we need to be content with that, and we need to make changes at the top to, to, to come in line with our, our giving. And so that may be the case. But, but we won't know unless we give you a chance, right? Unless we put you to the test and say, okay, let's see what the church can give. What is the actual giving capacity of this church? Ultimately, however, who we're putting to the test is not us. We're putting God to the test. Amen? We're putting God to the test to see how he will be faithful to provide for our needs. Because in both seasons of expansion or contraction, God always provides plenty of resources within his people to accomplish whatever work he wants to do through us. Our motto has always been the motto of Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China. He said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's provision. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, says it this way, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've given to us. Most importantly, your son, Jesus Christ. That you did not spare your greatest treasure, but you gave him up for us. And that gift alone should inspire great generosity. Just following your example, the example that you have set for us of being a, a, a generous, sacrificial giver so that we could be here this morning knowing that our sins are forgiven and know the joy of being a part of your great kingdom work. Father, we want to show you how grateful we are by giving back to you. So I, I ask, Lord, that you would impress on each of our hearts what you desire us to regularly give to the work, your work here at this church. Bless us so we can give generously to your work. Show us how we can give sacrificially to your work. And Lord, that we would do all this with great joy, 
in our hearts, that we would not feel guilted into giving, that we wouldn't give grudgingly, but we would give joyfully. God, you know there are pastors and administrative staff that we need to provide for. There's missionaries we want to support, not just ones that we are supporting, but, but ones that have come to us and are seeking support, and we've had to tell them we can't do that right now. Lord, we would want to give to them. We want to do that, so provide so we can. Lord, there's community outreach events that we want to sponsor, Lord, to reach more lost people with the gospel. Lord, there's projects around this facility that we need to um, stay on top of and, and to complete. And so would you provide for these things? Lord, help us to trust you. We know you're able to do above and beyond anything we could ask or even imagine. And so we pray that you would show yourself faithful to your promises as you have these past 20 years to this church. And we pray this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening to all that. That was a lot of stuff coming at you this morning. But uh, if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, uh, you have any concerns, about anything you've heard this morning. Uh, we've got a couple of our elders available up front. Please come and uh, talk with them. Maybe you just want some prayer. Maybe you need some counsel. Uh, whatever the need is, you come when we dismiss and uh, let us serve you today. Again, if you're visiting with us uh, for the first time, uh, if you come back, you probably won't hear anything about money for the next five years, okay? Other than, hey, thank you, way to go, good hustle. You guys stepped up to the plate. And, and, and you honor the Lord. But uh, um, this is a unique Sunday, but uh, we hope that you've been blessed by your time with us. Please stop by our welcome desk as you leave. We'd love to meet you personally. Uh, again, no Wednesday night activities. We'll see you here, Lord willing, Friday night, 7 p.m. for our Good Friday service. You're dismissed.